You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Well, take your Bible. We're going to look at several different passages, but take your Bible. We'll start out at 2 Corinthians um, I want to do remind you, I, every Sunday afternoon, if you've got your little smartphone and you just type in Pastor John Beck with no H, and it pulls you up to a little WordPress site that I have, and uh, every afternoon at about five-ish or four-ish, and then every Sunday morning, uh, I also um, download the notes it's just easier for me I have been in churches before where the pastor has the little outline flashing and always worried what's behind me and when the you know when the next slide is and I've tried to do handouts before but then when the Lord wakes me up on the middle of the night on Sunday Saturday night and changes that sermon around I've already made 200 outlines and I have to come get them and take them out of the bulletin and research and that's no fun so basically what it is it's just that and you can just follow along. It's all of my notes. I don't do it word for word. It's just my study notes. If I look up and the clock has got me prisoner, I leave some things out. But it just helps me as I can talk faster. For those that do not take notes or don't care, and I don't mean that in a negative way, don't really care, that's fine. But for those that follow along and want notes, you can always, on Sunday morning or, or Sunday night, access that. I download it. Uh, right before the service. So look at 2 Corinthians 9. We're just looking at this idea of Christian zeal, that we are excited about something, that we're doing something, that there's some energy and passion. There's just something about us. And, and there's so many illustrations that we could use. And, you know, we, we, we do what we want. I've heard all my life, you do what you do because that's what you want to do. You know, whatever you want to get excited about, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they, somebody was talking about, you know, college football coaches and who's successful and who's not. Leadership is another example with head coaches and leadership. People are able to rally the troops and get people excited. And when people are excited, they'll follow and they'll do. And some coaches have a knack for that. And so in the business world, charismatic leaders can just kind of rally the troops and all of that. Well, that is a good illustration to make us think that if the world, if leadership in the world can rally the troops and get people excited to do something, think about what we have. Who is, who is our great leader? It isn't me. Who's our great leader? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I've heard this my whole ministry. You've heard it your whole ministry, wherever you go to church or if it's here, another church. Well, we're just not excited about that, Pastor. Uh, you know, youth ministry is notorious about that. Well, our kids just don't enjoy Bible. It's just too much Bible study. Uh, think about that. 
He, you know, well, I just, he doesn't do much for me. That pastor just doesn't do much for me. I just, bah. Well, it would be okay if, if the pastor or a leader or your Sunday school teacher or whatever was responsible for producing that zeal within you. But think about that blind man this morning. Who was his zeal upon? Who motivated him to live his life? The Lord Jesus Christ did. And so the, this idea we, we were talking about, we've been talking about these last several weeks, this, this, this angle that I've been taking is an old angle from the 15 and 1600s, the, the Puritans over in England and then came and settled in the Northeast with the pilgrims. That was, real, that was a real big in their vocabulary, a quest for zeal, Christian zeal. And we don't hear that a lot, but it's just being stirred with the passion of the things of God and just making a difference where you are. And so look at 2 Corinthians 9. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those, uh, get in your concordance and find a word for zeal. But it, it, it's, it's more than that. It's an example of, look at 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's reminding them about the offering. Hey, hey, you know, church of Corinth, y'all been real good about the offering. We're taking up an offering for the saints. Now, it's super, uh, where are we at now? For I know your readiness, superfluous, for me to write, what is that word? Superfluous, superfluous. Somebody help me out here. Superfluous. Superfluous. Let's do another word than that. Superfluous. Superfluous. That's weird. Makes no sense for me to write to you. No need for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, I don't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. It makes no sense for me to have to write this. Because I know your readiness. It's, it's, you know, it'd be like me telling Carrie, okay, you need to get excited. Dogs won. Well, where my Ohio, the Ohio State people, they come to church tonight. They're probably mourning. I'm looking around. They're probably mourning. Sorry, Ohio State. Sorry, Big Ten. For those that don't get that, be grateful. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you. To the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. So Paul's saying, listen, this is, doesn't make any sense. You have to write this. This is just, duh, that I'm having to write this. I know you're ready. I know you're eager. I know you're willing because I've been telling everyone about it. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now think about that for a second. Paul was reminding them about their, their life and what their life was doing for others. A great testimony for a church is when the life of our church is stirring up our community. Here's a great church statement. If a church, whatever church that is, if your church, this is you know, one of these things you hear when you're at a pastor, if your church ceased to exist, would it matter? Now think about that for a minute. Other than, let's say you've got a church somewhere, and you're, you've got a church, and it's sitting somewhere, other than the people that come to that church, okay? So it would matter to the people that come to that church. If this church or a church was just not here, would the community matter? Would there be a void of 
kingdom work? Would there be a, a Holy Spirit void other than just the people? And you'd be surprised that to a number of churches that dot our country, there would be no different. It would not make a difference in that community if that church was there or not. Now, the people would say, but yeah, it made a difference to me that we're attending. What a, what a statement. I remember the first time I was challenged with that as a pastor. If the church I'm pastoring was not here, let's break it down a little easier. If you were not in your neighborhood, would anybody care? Are you making a difference for your neighborhood other than keeping your lawn cut and your flowers trimmed and your house painted and people say, oh, you have a nice house? If, if the gospel, if you are not in your neighborhood, would it make a difference for the kingdom? That ought to convict all of us. This idea of, of zeal and the zeal has stirred up most of them. And so this idea of this zeal, now we, we, we defined zeal last week, and we'll, we'll define it again this week, kind of a little different angle. It's our affection set ablaze. It's that which is internal. It's, a, it's because of who we are in Christ. Our affections are set ablaze against all things sinful and toward all things holy. The process of sanctification is always a put-on and a put-off, a take-on, a, a take-off. We, we, we denounce sin and put it away, but we put something else on. So there's an inner passion and a stirring of my soul to stay away from the things that are sinful, and I am running toward all things holy. And you know one of the dangers in a lot of our... And I can speak as our church, because we're a Southern Baptist church, and I've been around Southern Baptist churches my whole life. You know what most of the dangers of our churches are and people in our churches? There's no zeal of either one. It's just, I come to church. I tithe. I come Sunday morning, Sunday school. I leave Sunday school, I come to Sunday, night, Sunday morning church. I tithe. I read my bulletin. I see what's going on. I go to as many things as I can. I tithe. I come back Sunday night. I'll come back Wednesday night. And, I, and it's just a cycle. Now, are those bad things? No, they're not bad things. But is that zeal for the Christian life, just doing things? We, we do these things to help stir up our zeal. And that's what tonight is about, the means that stir up our zeal. The, the activities of the local church is not what the Christian life is about. The activities of the local church stir our zeal to go and to make a difference in the world that we live in. And so I thought about it, and um, why does John, why does Pastor John need this zeal in his life? I thought about it. It's real real down to earth for me. Why do I need this inner zeal in my life? Why is that something that I need to be burdened about on a daily basis? And I just came up with the, the first two things that topped them. I said, I want to come up with two things. What are the first two things I thought about? One is just to keep me focused. You don't have a focus problem. The world is so inviting to me. There's always a hundred things that I could be doing. And they're all great. I learned years ago in ministry when I became a pastor and you pastor in a town, everybody wants the pastor to do everything. 
you know, every committee, every board, every organization. And I was like, you know, I can justify. I said this kind of out loud one day in a setting to other pastors. I could justify volunteering to be a door greeter at Walmart. You know that? I could justify that. What a great way to meet people. And I could just go and volunteer every day and, and uh, you know, just greet people, you know, where they are and what they're doing. I, I can justify a lot of things. But what I really need to be about in my own life is to keep me focused. What am I here for? What, did, what has God saved me to do? Specifically as an individual, as John, one, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm, I'm saved to be a believer. So I want to keep that inner zeal and passion in my heart. That's what he's called me to do. And my, my goal as a believer is to do what? If, 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 what, what? What should a believer be about, biblically? What is a believer about? Ma'am, make disciples. How, what more is what? What does that look like? It means making disciples. We pray for missionaries. A, a word that is thrown around a lot is this word missional, that we need to be missional people. It's kind of a new word, missional. And you know what that means? Live like a missionary. We will literally, where's my prayer guide? We will literally take our prayer guide and go, oh, Lord, be with, and I'm not making a lot of prayer, Lord, be with the, the Bagby family in Nepal as they travel the mountains, and Lord, give them the endurance to scale those mountains, and, and Lord, strengthen their family, and Lord, they, you know, uh, I remember talking to a missionary one time, he was talking about, you know, I'm separated from my family and my grandchildren, oh, we pray for them, and we, uh, we give to them, and we, oh, And we won't walk to our next door neighbor and invite him to church. And we know that's what we need to be about because we support missionaries. But we're all called to be on mission. To be on mission is to live like a missionary where you are. Now, how do you know where you're supposed to be? I always tell people this because I said this one time. Somebody came to me. I'm just not happy at work. I'll work with lost people. Can I just come and hang out here? No, you can't come hang out here because you get on my nerves and we can't afford to pay you to stay here previous church I was at was kind of like this one located on the main drag and I would have people come by in Indiana it was it was on the same road to school and they'd come by and say hey I got to pick my kids up in 45 minutes so I thought I'd come by and talk to you and I'm like well don't waste my time it's supposed to be funny you know but the idea is people think if I could just work at the church I would be on mission well, if you're not supposed to be where you are, then that's your, that's, you're not in God's will. Okay? But if you know, well, no, I'm in God's will, well, then your workplace is a mission field. Not everybody can serve as the pastor of First Baptist Church. You may be in the, whatever you're, wherever you are in your life, wherever you're living, if you're not out of God's will and you know you're in God's will, you're on mission there. So Christian zeal, staying excited about the thing to the Lord keeps me on task. What is my purpose? What am I here for? To make disciples as a pastor of the church, to lead the church, to shepherd the flock. And, and so I, I, as I walk through this study, I need this Christian zeal in my life to keep me on mission and to keep me on purpose. Secondly, this is good, so that I can keep Satan where he needs to be. Do you realize that we have an enemy out there? Boy, he is smart. He's real smart. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, it'd be like if, if, if Satan turned the corner and came walking down the aisles right there, we, we would recognize that. So you, but Satan doesn't do that. You know what Satan does? 
Satan doesn't come into church and say, hey, I'm Satan. Satan comes into church and says, hey, I'm a Baptist church member. Mind if I hang out? See, he's sneaky. He's subtle. He's crafty. Hey, Eve, you know what God really meant by what he said? And Eve said, well, now I want to make God happy. What did God mean when he said? Now, if he would have gone up to Eve and said, hey, Eve, if you eat that, it's going to be a big mess you're going to start. No. And so I realize that. So the more excited I am about the things of the Lord, the more I'm able to see what the devil's doing in the background. Let me let you in on a little secret. This goes for anybody in a position of leadership. The old military background. This is going to sound gruesome. So if you don't like gruesomeness, don't listen. If I'm sitting in the woods and I'm a little force recon sniper and I see a a group coming down through there and I see some young officer with shiny things on his collar, what do you think I shoot first? Most shiny things. He's the guy in charge. If you take down the guy in charge, it's total chaos. What do you think the devil does in churches? I think I'm going to ease in here. Pastor, staff, deacons, their families, Sunday school teachers, people that serve. That's what, what Satan does. I know that. I'm one of those guys, and it made me people nervous, you know, it's like alcohol. Alcohol is a, a problem in my family. So it's kind of one of those things. I just think that there is some genetical thing going on there that not everybody is, you know, I am a compulsive person with everything. When I bought into butter pecan ice cream, I went all in. And so, you know, it, it, that, that just kind of follows my, my pattern of life. And so years ago, when the, when the drinking thing started, it just, it just escalated very quickly. I have a brother that drank a little bit back in the day, and he would be, if he drank now, he could be a, a social drinker and this, that, and the other, whatever. And so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person that would say, that would never say, I'll never drink again. Why would I never say that? Because I know it's very possible. So what I say is, I never want to put myself in a situation that I'll ever drink again. So I know what the world looks like. And I've seen many faithful men of the Lord stumble and fall morally and ethically and biblically in ministry. So I know it's very possible, even for me. So I know I need to be prayed up and studied up and loving the Lord so it doesn't happen to me. I keep, I keep my soul afire, set my soul on fire, God, the song we sing sometimes. So I wanted this zeal in my life. Here, here's some things that Satan does. He, he distracts and dismays real quickly. He tempts us. He tempts us to so many things. Pride, materialism, morality, to, to be uh, deceitful and lying, to discouragement. Boy, that's a great temptation. Just be discouraged all the time. To be unforgiving, and this is just something I threw in there from a previous study I had done on, on Satan. Something else that Satan does to distract and dismay. He promotes false teaching within the church. You know how you stay away from false teaching within the church? 
You always stay in the Word. Thank you. You always stay in the Word. There's been many a thing said in many a pulpits and Sunday school rooms in the history of the church that sound good, but they're not biblical. And so let our talk be biblical and our doctrine be biblical. I mean, you know, you, you take the things, I mean, how many times have I heard? I mean, I could, every week I could say this. Is same-sex marriage, same-sex marriage wrong? Yes. Why is it wrong? The Bible says so. God says so. Now, is that popular? No. Well, you don't understand. No, that's false teaching. Coming into the church now. That's a great example. Marriage is not that, really. Promotes anger, bitterness, and division within the church and the lives of believers. So that that is why. I I read that list because that's scary, what the devil can do. So the closer I walk with the Lord, the further I am walking from the devil. So that's why Christian zeal is so important. Another big heading, Christian zeal is possible for everybody. Now, when I talk about zeal, it's an internal thing, but I will say this. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Christian zeal internally needs to be manifested externally. Now, if every time Joy sang, she got into the backflips and became the, the tambourine girl. You ever seen the tambourine girl on praise teams? Can't do the tambourine girl drives me crazy. You know, oh, hey, you know, hit, hit the tambourine. slide the tambourine girl to the back, please. You know, just, but that can be false. But I just really struggle with our world today. I see what it is to be excited. I'm not a hooper and holler watching a football game, okay? I, that may, I don't. I don't want to watch a game with you. Sharon, I tell you this, that's just, I'm being transparent. I want to watch a game alone. Definitely don't want to watch a football game with some obnoxious fan from the other team. I want to watch a game. I want to hit pause. I can't find, I used to have a laser pointer. Sometimes I'd get the laser pointer and show that guard pulling that second level block and impress Sharon and she'd care less. But I know when something this side of heaven, I'm telling you what, when, when Swift hit that off-tackle run for 64 yards and we went up by two touchdowns, I was going through the house fist-pumping. <laughs> Just be honest, that's it. That's all you get out. I'm like a Tiger Woods fist-pump. Sharon goes, what's going on? And Emily and I are fist-pumping around the house. Emily's my companion and. If I can do that watching a silly, meaningless football game, how in the world could I invent somebody? Well, that's just not my personality to be excited. You know, we were at uh, Miss Yana's funeral today, and I thought they did a good job with the congregational singing, but I want, it, it, a little side of me wanted to just go, hey, stop. Why don't y'all sing? You'll enjoy it a lot better. But I was sitting around because he lives is a pretty good song to be singing. The guy in front of me kept turning his head. I'm like, I know I sing bad, but I'm not singing for you. And so I do get frustrated that we are so afraid to show any emotion whatsoever as we live the Christian life out. It's sad. I'm not saying that we run around like tambourine girl and 
But it is possible for every one of us to be excited about the things of God. Three things we need to do. One, we just got to desire it. Isn't that simple enough? I think some people don't desire it, so therefore, what does that make you think? You think that somebody could be sitting in a church and maybe not truly be saved? I do. I really do that. How in the world could you meet Jesus Christ and understand, to me, the more we mature in our faith, the more zeal we should develop? Because I know the older I get, I, I tell you this, the older I get in my faith, the more grace means to me. The older I get, and I look at my wife and my family, I'm going to have a grandkid. Y'all know that? That is awesome. Man, God is good. That's grace. And the older I get, the more excited we ought to get about living the Christian life out with others and community and the gospel and just be excited. We must desire it. It will not just happen, nor can we just do it on our own. It is by and through him that it is possible. And that's a good thing. Because if it was dependent upon us, we'd fail miserably. But we just need to desire it. When's the last time that you just simply desire to be different with your Christian life and not be status quo and do something different? I want to be different. I want to live different. We love him. We depend on him. We're devoted to him. We seek him every day. And we desire to be excited about the things of him. You know, we are going out of town for our anniversary this coming weekend. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, you know, when you, when you got a trip planned, you kind of, well, I got to get this done and we got to get that done. I'm going to see my grandbaby as much as I can see the grandbaby in the body of his mother. We're going to see Brantley and Katie. Um. But, you know, you get excited. You start planning the trip. This is what we're doing. Hey, uh, this is something a little different. It's going to be cold. Be decked out of my Georgia gear. Sporting the SEC champions as I travel into the Midwest. Reminding the SEC rules. If you don't follow college football, you don't get that. Why can't I be that excited to go, hey, it's Monday. Great day at church yesterday. We're in Advent, celebrating the coming of the Lord. We're in the Christmas season. Gosh, I need to live like that blind man, thankful for what I have in Jesus. What can I, I'm just excited about the task at hand for the Lord. So we must desire it. Then we diligently give ourselves to the means appointed by God to obtain it. Now here's the great thing about sanctification. It is God and man okay God and man we God empowers us and as God empowers us our faithfulness enables it he talks about rewards in heaven he talks about being blessed this side of heaven as we live out the Christian life turn to Philippians 2 verse 12 Philippians 2 12 Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, now this is, this is a Christian. This is not, you know, you're working out your salvation like you've lost it. He says, to those who have obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Philippians 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out what is in there. That's why we need to have an assurance of our salvation. If, if it is in there and the Spirit is within you, work it out, cultivate it, work on it. Because it is God that is in you. So God has given us the means to do it. He will empower us to do it. With God, all things are possible. It is his power, but it's my efforts and diligence and passion that enables me to experience it. And I do think in in the period of sanctification, there are those that will draw closer to the things of the Lord this side of heaven and those that will not. And you know, you can't explain it to somebody that's not. Have you ever tried to do that? When you're, you know, real excited about the things of the Lord, and you, you know, it's like you take a trip and you come back and you try to explain to somebody that hasn't experienced it. You're just like, what? Yeah. Grand Canyon. Yeah. I've done that with, you know, and, and it could go either way. You know, Sharon could go off and hear a great sermon and come back. Ah, he said this. He said, okay, that ain't good. But you can't explain it to someone that's never experienced it. But as we work it out, it's in there. It is God, His power. It's it's a mysterious collaboration between the power of God and my efforts. That I'm working that was in me. Now, I know this. God's done His part, right? He's done it. Therefore, we can do it. There's no excuse. He's given us everything we need to accomplish what He's called us to do. If we will be willing to diligently seek the means that he has appointed for us to do. Here are just a few of those means. And you've heard them your whole Christian life. Prayer. And we talked about zeal being the the affections that set ablaze in our heart against sin and toward things that are holy. It says here that prayer and, and zeal, I like this, Samuel Ward, 1600s. Prayer and zeal are as water and ice, mutually producing each other. That's good, isn't it? You say something that good, we'll, we'll quote it if it's, you know, 300 years later. Prayer and zeal is like water and, and ice, they mutually make each other it's this idea look at listen to to luke 11 9 through 13 just listen luke 11 9 through 13 and i tell you now sometimes we read the bible and it's like we okay this cannot mean what this means there's got to be some super deep theological meaning to this verse no preachers are terrible about that just read it for what it is study it look at it at face value let the word interpret the word. Luke eleven nine through 13. And I will tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone, now it's talking about our relationship with God. In Ephesians, it talks about the spiritual blessings that we have as a follower of Jesus Christ. The spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How many blessings are in the heavenly places? Everything we need is at our disposal 
Everything we need is at our disposal through God. Ask and seek, find, knock. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you is his, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a fish, a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father... Give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him. Prayer. Every day. Let's say we we start our day in prayer. Here I am, Lord. I want to hear from you. I want to meet you. Ah, busy. Listen, I got a busy day, John. I tell you what, hold that thought, okay? Uh, I'll get back with you when I can work you in. Would he do that? Here's a practical example. I always use this as the best example because it's the best example. I visited my mom a few weeks ago, Thanksgiving. To this day, I could walk in her house and say, Mother, oh, Mother, what could I do for you, Mother, to be a loving son to my mother? What do you think she's going to tell me? You're probably still going to tell me what she told me when I was little saying that. Just obey me. But she's going, to, she's going to tell me what that desire is for that moment. Could be like her season of life. Just know that you love. I'll just love you. Just call. Now it's, I get in trouble all the time. You know, I know that's a shock. One time I called my mother and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sending some notes out. <laughs> you never write your mother. Well, I'm sorry. I'm writing you a note. I'm sorry. But to a mother, I just, you write others, but you don't write your mother. You don't call your mother. You don't, you know. So, the, the, so flash forward to God. God. Who are you? What do you need? How can I worship? Well, how about this? God, I want to know you deeper. God, I I want to know you in a way that I didn't know you before. I want to, God, I want to, I want to know you this week in a deeper way that I've known you that. Could you imagine praying that prayer? What do you think God's going to say? Thank you. Thank you for wanting to know that. I mean, it's just amazing how simple prayer is. Have you ever noticed that the more that you do pray, the more your prayers are answered? Here's a great prayer. Lord, I want to be holy. Lord, I want to be holy and pure and righteous. Lord, I want to have a, a zeal in my heart for you. Lord, I just seek you and worship you. Lord, let me be as a blind man and believe in who you are and worship you. You won't get out of that room that you're in and he's going to begin to show you things that is preventing you from knowing him in that way because he loves to answer our prayers. Maybe it's that we're not praying those prayers. I'm bad about pastor prayers. You know what a pastor prayer is? Oh God, we beseech you and come before thee today and ask you to bless our presence and come before us and do these things and take this off and guard, guide, and direct us in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God says, what in heaven's name was that? 
And what pastor's manual did you memorize that out of? Uh, I'll be preaching, pray for me, I will be preaching uh, in our church that I pastored for those years in Indiana. And it's the first time I've been back in, in years, and, and that was a church I passed for 10 years. And I still remember the gentleman that had just gotten, given his life to the Lord. And for some reason, I just, hey, would you close us in prayer? And I asked him to close in prayer. And I thought, uh-oh, I probably should have asked him before. He stood up, and it was like, and some of you deacon prayers are wonderful. I'm not picking on deacon prayers or pastor's prayers or Matt's prayer or anybody else's prayers. It's got to be top five prayers in the history of Christianity. God, I'm just glad I don't like marijuana anymore and that you saved me and that my children are in church and I'm coming to church with my kids and that I'm, I'm, I'm alive. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. It was so real and genuine. A brand new believer just crying out to the Lord. Why can't we call it the God that way? And I ask, Lord, just set my soul afire. Listen to James 4, 2 through 4. James 4, verses 2 through 4. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Do you think you can ask for something wrongly? One of my favorite little stories about a, a situation in church that wasn't right, and I've told this a thousand times, and I hope I, I hope I keep telling this story again because I don't want another one to take its place. When they were having communion in a friend's church of mine, and they got to arguing. The deacon was, you know, I was like I pick on deacons. I, I, I was one, so I guess once a deacon, always a deacon, I guess. I, but So the deacon's trying to hand out communion, and they're getting an argument. This woman starts arguing with them. I'm not taking that from you. I want another deacon to give me my communion. Take it, take it, take it, take it. Can you imagine that? Lord, that'd be awful. Take it. Little, it was a little church. Not that it mattered, but it was a little church. You know what the pastor did? He got down off the thing, grabbed his wife, went to the back door and said, y'all lock up when you're done. The Lord hadn't been here all day. Got in his car and drove home. If we're arguing over communion, something's wrong. You ask wrongly. Sometimes we can ask as a church for God to bless us. I'm not going to bless you until you get something right. You know, that, I'm telling you. And so sometimes we say, I'm going to try that. I'm going I'm to go home and ask for God. I'm going to start praying better. And the minute we get to pray and the Lord starts showing us, well, I ain't doing nothing about that now. I want zeal, but I'm not doing that. I mean, I've had people tell me that. I've had, I've had individuals tell me things that others need to be doing. Well, they need to be doing that because that's in the Word of God. And then you say, okay, I got that, but what about this? Oh, no, it doesn't count for me. <laughs> Just them. We ask wrongly. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. James says, you adulterous. Now, James is just practical. I like James. It's practical. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes it. So we need to ask, but we need to ask right. Lord, I mean this. Give me a fire within my soul to live a life that's pleasing to you. Humble, willing, 
seeing that there's a need, knowing that we are lacking. That's one of the issues, I think. You know, I look around on a, on a Sunday night, and, and on a lot of times on Sunday night, and, and I would say our church is an exception to a rule and a lot. A lot of churches don't have, like, uh, the younger congregation that wants to come to church. A lot of it's an older church. We have a great mixture, wouldn't you say? You know, one of the dangers of once we've been a Christian a few years, we think we don't need it anymore. I've been coming to church my whole life. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. And it's, it's not wrong, I've done these things. But it's having a, 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 like a childlike faith and say, Lord, but give me a, a fresh wind and a fresh fire. Wasn't there a book about that? Just give me a, a, a new zeal on life. I know I can't do what I used to do, but I'm still here. So I'm going to do what I can do. But I'm asking for a fresh zeal and a fire in my life. And a passion to serve you. So prayer. Secondly, the word of God. The word fuels our zeal. It, it keeps the zeal alive. Now between Bryce and Emery, my brother's son, there's a 12-year difference. So I've been in grandparent mode for many years now. So I am the crazy, when I talk about the crazy uncle... Whenever we visit as a family, my sisters and brothers say, Uncle John's going to be here. And I mean, they are in the, literally, every time we pull up, they are in, this time, they're hiding in the bushes waiting on me. Crazy uncle has arrived. Uncle John, we're going to have a bonfire. Yes, we love fires. So Sharon's like, honey, don't burn the house down with the kids. So they all play stupid. They all go inside like they want to be adults and leave me with the kids because they just, I don't know why they do that. But So what do you think Emory does? Let's go get some gas and put it on the fire. We're not putting gas on the fire. Okay? I can make a fire. You want me to go get some gas? And I, all I could visualize is, you know, I just me turning my back for one minute and crazy cousin Emory dumps gasoline on the fire. You know what gas does to a fire? I saw a video of a youth pastor one time that had, had a uh, Christmas tree burning. I've never been involved in a Christmas tree burning. So I drug my, this was not like long ago. This was like right before I came here because I was living in Georgia. And all my backyard had leaves on it. And we had this dead Christmas tree. And I would never done that. I'm out, go figure I let that thing up, and I thought I was going to burn down all of Hall County. I had never seen so much fire that quick in my life. And I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. Sharon said, why are you so pale? I almost burnt the house down. <laughs> I'd never, I didn't know it was going to go up that fast. Good, No wonder they have youth Christmas tree burning. That's kind of fun in a controlled setting. <laughs> that is what the Word of God does to our heart and our spirit. If we read it as the word of God, not just, da, 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 da. I read this before, here we go, it's the Bible. The word of God feeds our passion and love for God who graciously placed it in our heart. We hear it, hearing the word of God, looking for opportunities. Today, I told somebody, I want to grow as a Christian. That was the question. What can I do to grow in a question? Sit under the word of God. Step one. Where do you do that? Come to church. 
Come to Sunday school. Come to church. Sit up under the word. Listen to the word. Long to hear the word. Be excited about the word. Read the word. On your own. If that is what God has given us to give us zeal, we, we hear the word, we read the word, devotionally reading the word of God. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about me? And then third, meditating on the word, just thinking about the word. And I've got file folders of, of I've gone through John. How many times do you think I've gone through John? It's just a, a lot. And I'm preaching it like I've never preached it before as far as looking at it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I did, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. The Word of God never changes. It's always alive. And so prayer, I think I can handle that. The Word of God, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. I'll jump in right there in 23. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised it is faithful. That's 23. Let us hold fast the confession. Let us take fast our confession. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet one to another as more we shall see the day drawing near. Prayer, the word of God, faithful attendance and fellowship in God's homes, number three. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together that's so simple you know it's like speaking of fire you ever put a leaf blower on a fire that'll get it going pretty i see that hand thank you so much put a lot of wind to a fire and see what man that thing will get going real quick try that leaf blower big fire bonfire and It's what the Word of God does. It stirs up. But it stirs us up. And so let's, I always pick on Kim on Wednesday night because he's so faithful to sit close to me. If, if Kim decided he's just going to stay home tonight and watch whoever play football, it'd be like a, a lack of a fanning one another in the, in the faith. And so every time we decide that we're not going to come to church, the Word of God is not fanning. Have you ever met, have you ever, you, you know, if you take a fire and you take a log, it's burning, you, you separate those logs, what happens to those two logs? They get dimmer immediately. Put them together, they heat up. I don't know if you've ever done this, but lack of church attendance is the first sign of a lukewarm Christian. To me, it's always been, before I was a pastor, that was the one thing that would always ignite my heart. Coming to church any time I had an opportunity to come. As we sit up under the Word, it fans our heart, but we also fan one another. And then last, we'll close with this at 7. So we've got prayer, we've got the Word of God, we've got faithful attendance and fellowship in God's house, and we've got repentance and resistance against sin. Clean living. Just live right. Revelation 3, 14 and 22, we've read that almost every week. It's the lukewarm church of Laodicea. 
Revelation 3, 14 and 22. Listen to verse 19. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, as as we live this side of heaven, we're going to be facing temptation. And every time we face something, because we're the Lord's and he's a good father, he's going to discipline us. And we must get used to repenting. Now, what is repenting? What would be a good way to define repenting? Turn around. This is a good example. I've done this before. When I was living in Indiana, I was supposed to be going to a hospital in Indianapolis. But for some reason, I started going down 65 south to Louisville. Didn't go far. I recognize this is wrong. And if I don't do something, it's going to end up wrong. So I slowed down, came to a stop, took a left off the interstate, got back on the interstate and started heading in the right direction. That's what repentance is. This is wrong. This is what prayer and the word of God does, by the way. This is wrong, okay? Just, I always, it's, it's two ways to deal with disobedience. You're either rebellious or you're stupid. And I can say stupid on Sunday night. My wife would say I can never say stupid. And so, if you're, if, so think about it. I know I'm going the wrong direction. I'm supposed to meet someone having surgery in Indianapolis. And I'm going to Louisville. Okay, there's two things going on. He's either rebellious and just doesn't care. He knows he's going the wrong way. He's going to keep going. Or he is just stupid and doesn't realize what he's doing. Okay, let's, let's take the stupid out. Because we're a blood-born, bought-born child of God. And the Spirit of God is abiding within us. And we can see because Jesus Christ has healed us. And we are, we're a child of God. So it's not, you know, blindness. And what is it? We know what we're doing is wrong. And for some reason, so we're just going to circle the earth and wind up in Indianapolis sooner or later? A life of repentance. Lord, I, I, I know this is wrong. Well, then stop doing it. I, you, you've asked me. I've told you. You see it. Your heart's convicted of it. The Spirit is telling you. You've got to do something about it. I tell people all the time, I can't do this for you. That's with counseling. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I just want my, oh, my life is a wreck. And so I'll say, okay, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to let you in on some pastoral counseling. My life's a wreck. And I need to start living for the Lord. It's hypothetically. I'll say, I want you to go home this week and read Ephesians as many times as you can. And then we're going to come back next week and we're going to talk about what you saw in the book of Ephesians and we're going to begin to talk about these things that you say is causing troubles in your life. They come back the next week. Well, I didn't have time to read. I got busy and I meant to read and I didn't. But, oh, I got some issues. Could you help me with it? And I go, okay, one more time. What I want you to do, I want you to go home and read the book of Ephesians many times you can this week. I want you to come to church and Sunday school, sit up under the Word, read the book of Ephesians, and I want you to come back next week and we're going to talk about this. About that third time, well, I didn't have time. I said, you know, you're wasting my time. I can't help you. I don't have a magic wand I pull out of the drawer and put pixie dust on you to make you better. 
If you are a Christian, I've said this, if you are a Christian and you don't believe that God can help you overcome this, then how can I help you overcome it? But if you're not willing to stop what you're doing and do the things God's asked you to do, this is never going to get any better. That's insanity. And that's what's so wonderful is the Lord loves us enough to show us these things. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. Last verse. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. A true sorrow over being wrong, a true sorrow will lead to repentance because you see that Christ can forgive you and that this is a, a stumbling block in your life. And it will produce this zeal. Another way to look at this in last statement, when we don't repent and resist, we're refusing to let go of something that the Spirit is telling us to let go of. We pray. We get in the Word. We're praying for something. We're praying for zeal. We're, we're praying for an intimacy and a closeness, a fresh walk with the Lord that we haven't had in a while. And God, and we refuse to let go of it. It's kind, of, it's kind of the idea that I say this about an individual, and I've said it more about a church than I have an individual, but anything you say about the church is an individual. A church stops growing when the cost gets too high. A Christian stops growing when the cost gets too high. I'm ready to live for the Lord and do what's right. Well, I need you to stop doing this. Because, you know, you're an unbeliever. Hey, I want to live for the Lord. But I don't want to give that up. And I want to give that up. We're a church. We're going to charge hell with water pistols in the morning. We're going to take Avon Park with the gospel. Rah, rah. Well, we don't want to give that much to missions. Whoa, 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 whoa. I still want to have my sacred cows around here. No, 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 no. Them kind get their own church. I've heard these things. Not here. God says, okay. Have at it. Status quo. Do what you want to do. When the cost gets too high, we stop growing. You ever notice, why do we read a book? Why am I reading a sermon of a guy in the 1600s? Because he wrote and he preached and he left a legacy because he had a zeal for the Lord. And why do we read, why do we have a missionary offering after Lottie Moon? Because she had zeal for the Lord and she did something because of that zeal and God used greatly. And so there is a means to this zeal. It's just loving the Lord and loving the things that God loves. And it's very simple if we'll just do it. As we pray, as we seek the word, as we love our church, as we love one another, 
and we live a lot. Johnny Hunt said this one time. It's become one of my favorite phrases of Johnny Hunt. He, he always asked his congregation to do two things. Pray that he would stay close and clean. Stay close to the Lord and live a clean life. Having a, a zeal for the Lord and stay free from the things of the, of the world. And that's what zeal is all about. Let's stand and dismiss us in a word of prayer this evening. Lord God, we thank you for your word, the encouragement of the word. And I pray that we will not be a church that has no zeal. I pray that we would not be a people that have no zeal. But yet we would be a people that we would be a church that is hot-hearted and passionate over lostness and spiritual growth. That we're excited about the community that you have placed us in that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And something as simple as that we love you and we love everything that you love. We love these things that we have discussed tonight. We love prayer and the word and one another. We, we love to live a holy and a clean life. We love the, the aspects of living the Christian life out. And so, Lord, I do, I do beg, I ask, I beg of you that we would be people that have a zeal for you, that we are just so different that it's obvious that even the way that we sing in church, the way that we serve at the workplace, the way that we minister to one another as a church, we're just different. And that we have a true zeal and a passion for you, Christ. We love you, Lord. And I pray that as we listen to your word tonight, that we do take it to heart. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.